Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you. My name is Wes. I don't know many of you all, but uh, I have the privilege of leading the Northwest family of churches. And uh, two things specifically today that I have the privilege to do. One is your pastor gave me the privilege to teach, uh, and I love to teach God's Word. So I'm going to get to do that in the next few minutes. But the reason I'm a little dressed up more than normal is because we have the chance today to commission uh, this great church and celebrate you all and uh, give a sense that God is with you. That's what I hope to do today. So, so in, in, in light of that, I have uh, less time than even normal to teach, which will be exciting, but I want to teach from a story that uh, you probably have heard all of your life. Many of you have grown up with the story of David and Goliath. But but don't give up on the teaching just yet because you've heard that story a few billion times. In case you haven't heard the story, though, it's, it's, it's a great story. It's one I've loved since I could listen to stories. It's, it's the story of an underdog. It's the story of a kid, a teenage kid, who, because he was the youngest in his family, when back, back in those days when you were the youngest of your family, that meant you weren't thought of very highly. And so because he was the youngest in his family, he was given the task, the lowest task in the whole operation of his family as a shepherd. And others in his family got to do glorious things like go off to war and build stuff and do stuff. But he was just considered to be, since he was the youngest, not much. And so he was given a few sheep to watch. Well, the story, though, is that he would eventually conquer the greatest warrior of that nation's enemies, and it would be this great, like, underdog win kind of story, and we've celebrated it for a lot of years now as a Christian church, and we tell the story of David and Goliath, and when we tell that story, it's a story of God is great, and God can do amazing things, and you can trust in this God. And I've enjoyed it, as I said, since I was a little guy, because I like swords and slingshots a lot. And so it's just been a great story. But the reality is, if I'm being really truthful with you, uh, up until the last few years of my life, I've never uh, uh, applied it very specifically. I mean, let's be honest. I have never in my life, I bet you haven't in your life either, encountered a nine and a half foot guy covered with armor with a sword who wanted to kill you. Right? I haven't ever come across that, and I don't actually plan to. I'm, I, I'm, I've got stuff in my life, and there's going to be more stuff, but that's not going to be one of them. I doubt. I, mean, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I mean, I, I, theoretically, but I doubt it. So when I read the story, it's a great story, but kind of leave it as a great story. And God is great, and I've learned that it's good, and, and God helped David, and that's great, and, and all that. But, but the reality is, like, if your life is like mine, my challenges, they don't involve that. They involve, like, bad news at the doctor. Uh, they involve, like, marriage challenges and trying to raise kids and uh, financial stuff. And you know what I mean? Like it, it, the giants in my life and your life, I would assume, are, are different. And yet 
that's actually, I've learned, what this story is really about, the story of David and Goliath. It's actually the story of how God builds you and me in the kind of faith that conquers giants. That's the point of using David, the forgotten, thought-to-be-worthless shepherd kid, instead of the older brother Eliab warrior or King Saul or other characters in this story who you'd think, no, that's why David, because he wants to say, yes, you and me, I'm with you actually. Like, you're it, and I'll be with you. And he also, hey, well, this is kind of bad news. Uh, the reality of following Jesus Christ is that when you encounter the Goliaths, the giants of life, God does something I don't like. And that is he does not remove the giant. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he just miraculously, boom, and that problem went away. There's a miracle. And he has the power to do that, and he can do that, and he sometimes does. But what I have found is that he uh, rarely ever does that. Instead, what he does is he, if I'll allow it, if, if, if I'll open myself to him, he walks with me and together we face Goliath, the giant. That's more typical. And that's what I want to talk about today because in my life, he's doing in me what he did in David and I hope you'll give him permission to do that in you because he does as I read this story now afresh and I hope you do today he, he, he did he did a few things in David's life that I think he really wants to do in your life the first thing he wants to do is build your heart of faith personally in him by facing your everyday Monday morning challenge and and and, and so I'd like you just to think about what it is you're facing this week and, and, and know that God's looking at whatever that is differently than you might be. You're looking at it as something maybe to avoid, something to procrastinate, a hard thing to walk through, and God's looking at it as an opportunity for you to come face-to-face with a clear understanding that God is actually with you, not just with some faraway time and place guy named David, but he's actually with you. Your Tuesday morning appointment, your Wednesday phone call that's going to have a lot of conflict, your counseling session Thursday, whatever that is, like, like God's looking at that as an opportunity. Well, let me back up and, and, and read from 1 Samuel 17 because David explains how this happened in his life. I just want you to read it with me and, and then think about your own life because everyday challenges, they're what, they're what really matter. Saul, the king of Israel, David's uh, country that he's part of is trying to say to David, you're a, you're a kid. You cannot take on this warrior. And David replies in this. Listen to his response. So Saul says, you're not able to go out against this Philistine, this giant. You can't fight him. You're only a boy. And he's been fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant, he's talking about himself. He says, he says I've been keeping my father's sheep. Your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and killed it. 
your servant, he's talking about himself again, has killed both the lion and the bear, this uncircumcised Philistine, this Goliath, this giant, he'll be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So see the setting, David, shepherd boy, not thought highly of, take care of the sheep, we, they, they help us sustain life, and that's kind of going to be your job. You'll live by yourself, check in with us occasionally, bring a sheep when we need sheep. That's kind of David's life, right? Not, not exciting. A lion comes and is going to take one of the sheep. Now, if I'm in David's place, get it, think about this for just a minute if you're David. If I'm in David's place, I'm, well, you know, you win some, you lose some, right? I mean, every good business has to have some depreciation. And there's a lion and there's a sheep. Well, sorry, uh, nothing I can really do. David, though, he says, apparently, no. I'm going to defend this sheep. And God's, I, I think God will be with me. He, he goes after the lion. And it works out. Now, whenever you take on a lion or a bear and it works out for you, you come to clearly understand that God was with you, right? I was, I was in Alaska this time last year on a sheep hunt and had a large brown bear charge. And I'll tell you what I didn't do, that stand there and fight it with my hands, Okay, I did the exact opposite of that. So, so when you face those moments and the bear or lion is dead and you're alive, something miraculous, like you learn some things about God and you, right? So maybe this will help because uh, this reminds me. Anybody here been to Devil's Tower in Northeast Wyoming to have anybody visit? Yeah, several of you. Okay, so you know, it's this, it's basically this, this big rock that's out of the earth, several hundred feet in the air, and it's pretty well straight up. Okay, and I've always, I've lived around that area some, most of my life, and I've always wanted to climb it, but I'm not good with heights. Like, I'm not good at all with heights. I get, I, 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 pass out I just have all kinds of weird reactions to really high heights and so thought never would except one day earlier in my life a friend of mine who climbed it regularly finally convinced me to try it once I don't know if I lost a bet I don't know exactly how it happened it's been a few years but I said yes I'll try so when you climb Devil's Tower you show up at the base of it and you take a little orientation class, and they talk to you about ropes and carabiners and all kinds of equipment and this. And they explain very, very thoroughly. This young lady was very uh, persuasive about how strong the ropes are, the carabiners, how much weight they can handle, uh, many hundreds of pounds and a lot of velocity, and they'll still hold, she said. And I believe her. Like, intellectually, I got it. Like, yeah, this is good. And then you start to climb. And the first part of the climb, if you've been there, it's, there's some, some jumbled rock and it's not sheer straight up. And it was kind of fun. I, I, I enjoyed that part. But then you get to the higher up part. And that's not fun at all. Uh, if you've done that, uh, it, it's, it's not like this. It's more like this. And uh, the guy I was with was a typical rock climber. He was like 135 pounds. And it was all like one big muscle, basically. 
right? And I'm 200 and none of your business, and I ain't all one big muscle, okay? I'm not one big muscle at all. And so he, boy, he would, uh, we'd get to these sheer sections, and he'd just shinny up them like nobody's business. And, and we got to one especially difficult one, and he just, and I'm just, I'm there hanging with my harness, you know, just hanging on the rope, and he's, uh, belay up, which I learned to hate that term, by the way, if you know climbing. That means it's my turn to go. And so, but you know, I'm belay, I'm belay, whatever, whatever. And, and uh, so, so I'd, I started to climb, and about halfway through that section, I still remember this, I, I completely lost all handholds, and I fell. And I not only fell back to where I was, but I, I fell a little further. I think he let me fall farther than I should have, but... But I fell quite a little ways, and I screamed like a third grader. I'm sorry if you're a third grader here, but I, I just, I screamed. I was absolutely, he says I asked for my mother. Mm, not sure about that, but, but I don't actually remember what I said exactly, so it's possible. I mean, I was, I was literally terrified. It bad deal. Uh, could not have been more scared. So, so the rope, but the rope caught, and so all you can do in that moment is get back on the rock face, and start climbing again. I got to the same spot, and I fell again. Again, incredible terror, screamed the whole nine yards, bad deal. Get back on the rock face. I fell, my memory is, four times on that one spot. But the reason I tell this story is because of what happened on the fourth time. I enjoyed it. It was okay. It turns out being airborne on the face of Devil's Tower can actually be kind of fun. And I kind of noticed looking around, kind of smiled and chuckled. He was laughing at me, of course, and I kind of joined in on the fourth fall. Yeah, here we go again. It was, it was fun. What had changed between the first and the fourth I had learned at a real gut level that the rope and the carabiner and the harness and all the rest were going to hold me. I was safe, actually. Until you decide to partner with God and face Tuesday's challenge and discover for yourself that God will actually be with you you won't be able to face Goliath and know that he'll be with you there. So again, God's looking at your week this week as a chance to build your personal faith in him if you'll let him. The second thing he does is when we walk through conflict, there's this frustrating part of faith building that almost always involves conflict, usually from people close to us, usually Somebody who actually maybe means something to us, like it, it, it's tough, but moving through that builds our faith. Watch David. We're going to back up to verse 28 in that chapter, and you're going to see Eliab, his oldest brother, who would have been his hero. Like this is the captain of the football team kind of hero for David. Eliab criticizes him. Watch, watch this. It says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? Shepherd boy, right? I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You, you, you just came down to watch the battle. 
What have I done, said David? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else. You, you think of David hearing this from his older brother and, and, and how, how hard that would have been. You're going to discover that when you try to take on the, the challenges of your life, there's going to be people around you who criticize you. You're not up to it. You're not equipped for it, whatever, whatever. And you see, for, for them... They've maybe been shrinking back from their challenges for a long time. And it it feels okay because everybody around them has been shrinking back too, so they feel okay with that. But when somebody steps out to face it, it hurts everybody who's been stepping back. It makes them, there's a sense of guilt about that, right? So Eliab, for 40 days, he and his buddies, they wake up. You know, they get pumped up. This is the day we're going to take on Goliath. They sing Kumbaya. They have a great breakfast. They got ham. They got eggs. They're already, actually, they don't have ham now that I think about it. Uh, in their case, something else. But just continue with me. They wake up. They get it done. They're all excited. They go out to the battlefield. This is the day. Boom. Wow, he's big. Holy cow, he's big. And for 40 days, they've changed their mind and they've shrunk back, which is okay because everybody's shrinking back. But now David says, I'll do it. And he's a scrawny kid. So they criticize. I'm going to tell you this is going to happen to you. As you step out in faith, it's not going to be the norm with the people around you. And you're going to get criticism and God's going to use that to continue to build your faith. You step out. Your faith grows. You step out, you get criticized, your faith is going to grow. Thirdly, you've got to trust that God is uniquely preparing you for your giant. Yes, you specifically. You with your education, you with your intelligence, you with your strength, you with your spiritual growth. What All the things that are you, God is uniquely preparing you. Not somebody you admire, but specifically you, and he's preparing you. See, here's the deal. God knows exactly what Goliath is coming in your life, what that's going to be. You don't know that. I don't know that. But God knows exactly the challenge that's coming for you. And he's right now preparing you if you'll lean into that, if you'll lean into what's in front of you right now. So read this with me. Uh, There's some humor in this. It says, Saul, who's the king, who actually should have been fighting Goliath, says, Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul. I'm not used to these. So he took them off. And watch what he does says, he took his staff in his hand and chose five, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistines. So he goes into the king. The king says, well, the only way you try to fight a Goliath, we know this, is you put the armor on and you carry all this gear, right? You've got to use the right gear. And David tries, but David's just not even strong enough to walk with all the gear on. He takes it off, and he says, All I know is a slingshot. So he picks up his slingshot and he gets some rocks and he heads to Goliath, which to the people in the Israelite army was comical. This would have been funny. This would have been, yeah, this is what we thought would have happened. Interesting point of history. Not long after this event, 
they discovered that actually the best way to take on completely uh, protected warriors like Goliath who were trained in hand-to-hand sword stuff and were covered in armor, the way to take those warriors on was with a slingshot. It turns out in David's day that someone really skilled with a slingshot could hurl a rock very accurately at about the same speed as we shoot a bullet from a forty-five auto pistol in our day. They would come to be known, this group of slingshot artists, they'd come to be known as slingers, and after David's day, there'd be a whole division in the army known as slingers, and they'd sling rocks. They were famous because they could hit birds as they flew by with their rocks. It was a different slingshot than we had today. It wasn't the pullback type. It was the spin type, and they were amazing with them. But when David is walking to Goliath, this isn't known. They laugh. All he knows how to do is hurl a rock at 2,700 feet per second. What a, what's that? What good's that? Well, it turns out it's pretty spectacular. Turns out it did some damage. And if you know the story, Goliath goes down. David kills him. I mean, it's a pretty gory scene. I won't trouble you with it at the moment, but it's amazing. Here's the deal. The people around you may not think you can take on some challenge that you feel God is really calling you to take on. But they're wrong. But they're wrong. God's preparing you. And as you walk with him, he wants you to be an example. He wants you dad. He wants you mom. He wants you cancer survivor. He wants you previously addicted. He wants you to be a model to the people around you that yes, God can help you face Goliath. He can do this. He can do this. And David walks out with some rocks and a sling and everybody said, Wow, God is great. And that leads me to the final thing God does when he builds our faith. He uses the crisis moments of the people around us as we watch each other face our challenges. God uses us to build each other's faith. Watch this in verse 52, right at the end of chapter 17. Watch what happens after after Goliath goes down. It says, the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistine to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Even Eliab, the whole group, when they saw Goliath go down, they surged forward. This reminds me of a time when I was in fourth grade. I, in fourth grade, was attending a school that was really troubled, really tough. Uh, a, a, a public school system that had just gone awry. And I mean, there were fights and there were bad stuff every day. And I'd come home and I would report this bad stuff to my dad. 
And he was kind of a unique parent. He did not, his response to those moments was not to call my teacher, to call a principal or anything like that. His response was, I didn't, I didn't actually like this, but it's just what it was. His response was to look back at me and say, what would you do about that? And <clears throat> thinking back on it, I wish I would have said, Dad, I'm a fourth grader. <laughs> but, but anyway, what I said at the moment was, I didn't do anything. I ran with everybody else. That was kind of my typical response. He said, well, I don't, I don't think that's the right way. He said, uh, actually, those of us following Christ, like, we should care for the least of these. And it doesn't sound like you cared for the least of these. And he had this whole thing. My dad's a pastor, and he had this whole thing. And he could really lay it on. I'm telling you, like, he went away like, crap. Uh, it was a bad deal. But I didn't really change my behavior. Like, I just kept living, you know, whatever. I kept running. Uh, until one day in fourth grade, I remember we're driving along, uh, uh, kind of, it was a, it was a paved hot country road, and and I, all, you, the things I remember about this will seem maybe odd to you, but we're driving a green van, I just remember that, and dad slams on the brakes, backs up a little bit, and rolls his window down and starts yelling across the street. And so we look across the street, and there's a guy who has a woman by the neck and is shaking her, has her bent over his car, which is, a I remember to this day, a blue Nova. And he's just shaking her, and he's, Dad yells, Stop, and let her go, and he starts to yell. And finally, the guy acknowledges that somebody's yelling at him from the road and lets her go, and she stands up straight and starts to kind of stagger away a little bit. And... And dad's continuing to, you know, let her go. You got to let her go. And so the guy, and I remember the guy so vividly to this day, large, large man, long beard, long hair, just a tough looking dude. Okay. And so he goes around to the back and this is many, many years ago. I'm an old man. So this has been a while, but he goes around back to his car, opens his trunk up and pulls out. We used to have these big four prong tire irons and he pulls one of those out of the trunk and, uh, starts to communicate to my dad what he's going to do to my dad with this, pretend, this, this piece of equipment. And he uses words I've never heard before as a fourth grader. Colorful, interesting words that I didn't really understand, but I could tell it wasn't going to be pretty. That's what I got from that. And, and he was a creative young man, apparently, because he had lots of good ideas about what you could do with a tire iron. And he was telling my dad this, right? My dad's communicating to the young lady to make sure she can get to safety. So he's saying, can you get somewhere or someplace you can get safety? You need help. You need us to give you a ride. And she says no. And she starts taking off in another direction. Meanwhile, the guy starts walking in our direction. This is when my mom starts to give my dad a lot of advice about the next steps in our life. Okay. She gets very specific about what needs to happen next. This is pre uh, smartphone days, so we, but, but she thought we could definitely get to a police station and now would be the time to get to a police station. My dad disagreed and there was an argument going on and this guy's yelling. It was a great scene if you're a fourth grader. I'm telling you right now, it was something. I, I remember it vividly. As the guy steps onto the pavement, still, I don't know, 10, 15 feet away from dad, dad steps out of the van, locks the door, and shuts the door and says, as he's doing this, I remember he says to mom, you know, if this doesn't go well, I've left the keys. You can go get help. Here's where to go get help. 
My mom violently disagrees with this plan and begins to share with dad how stupid this plan is. And they have quite a discussion as parents, probably more intense than I ever saw as a kid. Boom, right there. So this is going on. The guy's getting closer. Dad steps out, shuts and locks the doors he said he would, and just stands there. And the guy comes closer, yelling louder, swinging, swinging his tire iron. And then he gets about three feet from dad, and he just stops. And he turns around, and he goes and throws his uh, tire iron back in his trunk and jumps in and takes off. And, uh, you know, as a fourth grader, and I had my two brothers with me, we're just sitting in there stunned. We're just like, whoa, what is going on, right? And we remember every word still to this day. And And then... Dad asks to be let back in the van, but mom says no. And so they have like a long negotiation that occurs there. And I think like some lifestyle changes were made. I mean, a lot of stuff happened in a couple minutes there, but finally dad's allowed back in the van and we go to a police station. And I don't remember much what happened after that with all that, except I remember something in me did start to change. Like, oh, he really believes in this stuff. He thinks God was going to help him. Wow. And you know what happened in me? It may seem silly to you, but I remember as a fourth grader, my faith got a little bigger that day. I'm telling you, parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and teachers, any of you that have influence, what you do doesn't just matter for you. You can tell, you can have lectures and you can do all kind of stuff your whole life, but the way you face challenges, it builds their faith. It makes a difference. It really does. So I'm going to pray with you, and as I do that, the worship team is going to come, and, and uh, we're going to continue to worship, and then we're going to get to launch a, a great new church. But, but before all that happens, I'd like you just to take a minute and talk to God with me. God has become my very, very good friend. He's God of the universe, and he's unbelievably great. But he's also my friend, and I think he's yours. And you can talk to him about these things. Father in heaven, I love you so deeply. Sometimes I get frustrated because the, the Goliaths of my life, they don't get removed. Like, they don't just get taken away. Instead, you say, let's do this. Let's face this together. And on the other side of that, sometimes there is pain. And there's all kinds of hardship. But on the other side of that, you've built a stronger heart of faith. Keep doing your work in us. Keep doing your work in us, I pray. Help us to have the courage and the grace to open ourselves up to your training, to your will in our lives, and just face what's next with you. Pray deeply before we face it. Face it with all the wisdom and strength you give us, and then reflect on it, and then move to the next thing. Help us Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Help us when criticism comes to trust that you are really, really with us. Jesus' name I pray. Amen.